Welcome to the I Know a Thing podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Kelly. And this is Lauren. And today we're going to talk to Connie Steele, who is a future of work and life expert, executive consultant, and author and speaker that guides companies and professionals in finding purpose, gaining momentum, and thriving in today's constant changing and hybrid world. Hi, Connie. Welcome to our show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have Connie on the show because she is literally one of my favorite people ever. And (laughs) we have been friends for 20 years now, um, dating way back to when we worked together AOL in the early 2000s. Wow. I can't believe it's been that long. It's a little crazy. I know. And we've remained friends from coast to coast. She's on the East Coast. That's I'm amazing. on the West. I yeah. wish we could Love see that. each other in person more, but you know, yes, is what it is. <laughs> so, okay. Connie, you've done a lot of research, podcasting, and writing on the future of work. What trends were you seeing that made you go down this road? The key thing is I was just seeing people take nonlinear paths to what it is that they were looking to do and they were redefining what they wanted in the end. And that was happening in particular with the millennial generation. So when I was podcasting, uh, what was interesting is that the target audience I originally had um, weren't the ones who were necessarily reaching out. It They were the millennials and they were using podcasts as a way to learn very differently than the way I was learning. And it just piqued my interest. I want to understand why, how they were trying to advance in their career, what resources they find helpful. And it just led me down a path to try to understand why they were approaching the world of work and how they're being supported in the world of work very, very differently. And at the same time, there was a lot of media out there saying that millennials were lazy and that they couldn't stay in a job for all that long. And, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't clear on what they wanted. And it just didn't seem to quite fit because some that I'd worked with, I thought were incredibly talented, were incredibly focused. And it became somewhat of an obsession really to understand what was really going on. So um, really through that, it was doing secondary research. It was interviewing um, that particular cohort, um, whether it's focus groups or on my own podcast. And really it just led to a thesis of what was really happening to people in general. Interesting. That's interesting. So <laughs> I don't want to alienate anyone here. So I guess, should I change my um, philosophy that millennials suck? to work with. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like to some degree that they have forged a path ahead that have made like the work-life balance better because they're demanding more than um, Gen X did. Absolutely. Well, I think you have a difference in perspectives, attitudes, motivations at the end of the day. I mean, they grew up in a very different time and came out of school in a different different time than we did. So as a Gen Xer, um, came out when there were quite a few job opportunities. Um, and that linear sequential path to moving upward and that path of, you know, you go to great school and then you should theoretically help you find a great job and so forth, like that worked theoretically. Didn't mean we were fulfilled, but that worked at the time. For them, they came out during a recession. So they did all the things that they were supposed to do and they couldn't get a job. Mm-hmm. So they still needed to work. And at the time they had the power of the web. 
So they were able to play around and try different things. And also, I think the other big thing that people don't realize is that they had seen their parents toil away, be loyal at the companies, and they were miserable. Mm-hmm. They saw, well, why would I want that? And their parents also told them, you know what? <laughs> Do what makes you happy. Don't let a company own you. Another piece that's also important is that the upbringing that they had was very different than Gen Xers and boomers, where ours is much more hierarchical in structure. So obviously when you go into the workforce, you're somewhat used to that. They grew up with a choice and a voice. They had a seat at the table. They were able to really kind of influence what they would do on vacation or what they would eat. You know, they could supersize anything. It was very, very different. So if their understanding of a org structure in their home is one that's um, much more flat, then they're going to take that into the workplace. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to understand how they grew up and how that subsequently has an impact on the way they look at work and what they want out of work. No different than if you think about your kids right now, Uh, they are in a very different time and place. They see a lot of different opportunity. They see all these entrepreneurial um, endeavors that people have. So the jobs that they're thinking, well, I could be a TikTok influencer. I could be a YouTuber, right? They're not thinking the traditional jobs whatsoever. Um, They see folks doing multiple things because they can. Mm -hmm. And they can learn any kind of skill on the web and master it if they want to. So it's really important, the context in which they're growing up in. I mean, and another, I think, important thing is that they are also much more confident in expressing who they are. So whether they are gender fluid, um, whether they want to uh, identify in some other way or dress in a certain way, whatever it may be, but they have the courage to come out now. So, and that will change over time. But the fact that they can express it really early and just confidently say it, you project that 10 years out, they're going to be the same way when they're at work, which is not something that we could do. So when you put those things all together, you have to think about how they're going to come into the workforce and what they believe is going to be best for them in terms of really their performance too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's kind of fascinating when you think about just like the different generations and how you even just like view a job or view work or what that means to you. Um, it really, I did a little, I read your book. <laughs> I took some notes. I took some notes. Building the business of you. Yes, building the business Seal. of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, one of the things I found so interesting was that whole section in the beginning, when you talked about how millennials, like, like you said, like they looked at Christmas different and just vacations different. And like, you know, it, it is a different way to think. Like if you think about our parents, I am on the, I mean, I am technically a millennial, but I could have predicted on that. the verge, on the verge, <laughs> um, on the very older end. <laughs> um, but like just how, when you think about our parents and when you were saying like, my, my dad was in this, you know, he did the same thing his whole life. He didn't change jobs. He didn't want to change jobs. He was like comfortable in his job. And then you look at like kind of our, you know, the kind of younger generation where it's like, oh, I do this, but then I think I might want to do this. And oh no, I'm going to move and I'm not, and I'm not satisfied. I'm not happy. I'm, you know, where I feel like our parents would be like, who cares if you're happy? Like you have a job, you have a paycheck, you're, you know, you went to school, you get a job. And I do think about our kids 
you know, now this, I mean, your book really made me think about my own girl. I have three daughters and just their future in the workplace. Like it's, it's mind blowing to me just how their options are so different than what our options were. Like you would never say like, I'll be a social media, you know, influencer, but that's a real job now. That's not fake. That's real. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Or you want to work six months out of the year and travel for six months or do what makes you happy or like your mashup thing where you can do lots of things. And I mean, it's just such a different world. And how do you navigate with children when you ask them, what do you want to be when, when you, when you grow up and you're looking for my older daughter wants to be an astronaut. Like, that's great. My younger ones, like I want to be a um, traveling veterinarian who, you know, has a farm and, um, sings and, and like sings, like she probably could find a job like that now, you know, or she could create it. Right. Or so they see relationships yes. of things that we wouldn't, but when we were children, we didn't see any boundaries. We didn't see any things that should be delineated. So if you think about how kids are growing up, like in daycare, so my kids are now 12 and 15, Yep. but I remember when they were young, and my youngest didn't exhibit typical interest in boy type stuff, right? And I assumed he would. My older one totally was leaning into sports and very boy-oriented type of toys. My younger one did not at all. And so I realized I was somewhat boxing him in or potentially labeling him, but I let him be him. Uh-huh. And I realized, well, you know what? To force him to not want to play with dolls or tiaras or enjoy princesses or whatever. I'm like, well, you know what? You're just gravitating because you like it. It's only me putting that lens or that layer of like, well, no, that's a girl thing or a boy thing. You don't know the difference. You just know you like it. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of us are raising our kids in a way that it's much more open. It's like, well, if you like it, you like it. So what, you know, let you pick your lane. And, you know, he grew out of that, but I just let him be him. I think we all recognize as parents now that you need to let your kid be who they are. And we're saying, we want you to be happy. We're not saying you need to get a job and you need to get a job to stay in that job for 30 years because you just need stability of something, right? Right. Like everybody says, I want you to be happy. So what does happiness look like? Happiness is very different for each and every person. And there's a recognition that today's worker wants to find meaning, purpose, fulfillment, because the pursuit of money, title, power, because we've seen it, we've seen it proven out in 20 years, it doesn't bring happiness. A lot of people were wealthy. They're not happy at all. And you also see that that era, right? 80s was all about greed, (laughs) materialism, Um, right? I mean, you saw it. Wall Wall Street, movie Wall Street, right? Yep. But how many people are really happy who have a lot of stuff that's been proven out. So you have a generation that's seen the ills of it. Like, I don't want that. If I'm going to work 40 hours a week or more, and I don't really enjoy what I'm doing. And yeah, there's this money, but you guys are completely miserable. That makes no sense to me. What's the logic in that? So they're challenging the status quo. But the other piece I think to remember is that they grew up with technology, right? They had a smartphone. I mean, not all of them, but some of them maybe had a smartphone later when they got into 
um, high school or college, but the point is that they have been testing and learning and iterating themselves because technology has been a part of their life. So mm -hmm. the thing that I like to tell people, having been in technology for so long, you know, if if those of you who are familiar with software product development, you know, everything used to be done in a way that's waterfall or think of like an industrial line way of building stuff, one thing to another thing, to another thing and a line, right? And so you had organizational structures that were one um, department that sent to another department was sent to another department. It was painful, but that's the way it worked. But then you shifted to one that's much more agile. And so you're now working together in a very collaborative way. But in agile development, you are always experimenting. You're always trying. You have a hunch. You're not sure. But if you project that out, that's the way software products are built. Now everything is in a constant beta. That's the way businesses have to be now. You have to be an agile business. Kids grew up with that because the products and services they have are like that. The tech has been like that. Right. So they just have an agile way of life. Things is nothing is fixed for them because it doesn't have to be fixed. There's so much information coming at them all the time. There's so many new things to explore. Why would you? If you're restless and you want to, if you're curious, which most of them are, why would you just stick with one thing? I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like they have, you know, they're not so tied to this, the, like you said, like these labels and this, like, this is what you're supposed to do. And they're kind of like, you know what, I'm not having moving, moving along. Like I'm going to, you know, like you talked about lots of fluidity, like within a, a company of just like people just move, not even like to a new job, just like in a new, de new department that they think might fit them better. Or, which I feel like that's not the way of the past you know, that's not mm -hmm. the way the best. And so, so, so how do you see this playing out with Gen Z? I mean, do you think that, is that what our kids are or no? Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you see like, you know, sometimes with trends, like a pen, there's a pendulum mm -hmm. shifts back and forth, or there's a trend that just takes things forward. You know, what do you see happening with our kids and, and what would you recommend that they do to prepare for the workforce? So I would say the trends are going to continue with them. I think they're pushing even more to have flexibility and freedom. I mean, yet, I think in light of the pandemic, they do recognize that socialization and actually being co-located somewhere has a lot of benefit because they didn't have that necessarily. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this idea of community is really important to them. Um, actually, what you're seeing is a greater level of pragmatism um, versus sort of this me, me, me sort of culture, or people would say about the millennials and, and this of experiencing so many things around the world um, with Gen Z, the data is saying that they're more pragmatic, that they don't need to spend as much. It's like, what are the things that actually last? But I think some of that is in light of they're growing up in an environment where you're living in a world of scarcity, right? So climate change, you're not sure if you're going to have water. Um, also, you know, the constant danger that they have in their schools or this fear that never was there. Um, so they're going to look at the world a bit differently, but this desire to parallel path it, to create something that fits them will absolutely continue. They don't see that they have to work in the same way that we did for sure, because you do have this level of optionality. So I don't see any of that changing. I think if, if anything is very true is that this idea of finding their purpose and their meaning and find that level of happiness is going to be even more important to them. Because I think they also realize that their time on this earth is very finite, right? So in light of COVID, that's a pretty big thing that impacted them. And so they're seeing all these people 
unfortunately, you know, lose their lives or get really sick and so forth. And so that coupled with climate change, they have a very, very strong sense of their mortality, of which we didn't. I know I didn't. I wasn't thinking about any of that when I was in high school or when I was young. But these guys have to because they see it all the time Um, in terms of the skills that I think, you know, our kids need soft skills would be one of the most important things because of the fact that they are so ingrained in tech, they've lost that COVID, you know, obviously has impacted it, but teaching them how to connect and communicate with people is really important. But I'd say a bigger piece of this is part of the book. It's how do you help them teach planning? How do you teach them to learn planning? Uh, a lot of us as adults don't do it because if they're not goal oriented and you can't help them identify what a goal could be first and foremost, they may not have a clue and that's okay. Most people don't. But if you don't help them with some goal setting and say, okay, what do you think you might want to do? Mm-hmm. Great. How do we help you get there? Map it out with them and know that they're going to have ups and downs along the way. And of course, they're going to probably want to quit and because they're, they're scared and have fear. You got to push them. In my mind, the more you can push them out of their comfort zone, and have them have this growth mindset versus fixed mindset, which you guys might've obviously heard about, right? Mm-hmm. To me, the growth mindset is is so important. I think it's somewhat of a default of theirs, but a lot of kids get nervous when they think they're gonna fail. Like if it's brand new and you know they're not comfortable with the people or the teacher or whatever it is, like they don't wanna do it, right? I take the opposite thing. I'm gonna push you as much as possible and make you so incredibly uncomfortable as early as possible because that's life. Like the change that we have now is only getting greater. And if you can deal with that, and it's to some extent some anxiety that you have, but where does it come from? Help them understand like, oh, well, why are you scared of this? Where's it coming from? Well, do you realize if you try it, it might not be so bad and then you can do it again, right? They they deal with that. They're going to be much, much more resilient in the future. And that's what you need to teach kids, right? How to be confident when change is constant and certainty is a new certainty. Yeah. I mean, I do think that is one thing that we've lost. Like as the years have gone on, kids cannot handle failure. I don't know yep. what has happened, <laughs> but they've like gotten like almost like, that's when I think of millennials. I think of like the second that they think they can't do it. They're like, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm, it's I'm out. A whole prize yeah. for participation. Yes. Situation. It's like, we've, we've, we've taught kids that like, And like you said in your book, like failure is a key, a key lesson in life. Like you have to fail. Everyone fails. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're not failing, that means you're not even like trying. I mean, you have to, you have to fail. And I think, I mean, I, I feel like our kids maybe like things have swung a little bit, but I feel like it's this fear of failure. Mm -hmm. And the second they sense that maybe they can't do it, they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm not going to do yeah. it at all. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Or like things aren't perfect. Like my daughter in her math class, she's like, my math teacher speaks a little bit loudly and it, it kind of makes me uncomfortable. And we're like, that has nothing to do with math. You know what I mean? Like, but that's her way of like, so if I'm not, if I don't do well, it's because of that, you know? Right. And it's kind of this default kind of an excuse. Right. And I think we've got, let them got, get away with it for so long, Yeah, you know? Yep. And then I can know. you imagine, you know, in the workplace, like my boss spoke too loudly to me and I can't <laughs> work like that's what, well, you yeah. know? No, it's not why. No, 
maybe it will fly. Maybe it will fly. I, mean, I, don't, know. I, might. I don't know. I've not been. I've never been in the corporate world, so I can. I don't know, but it's getting to the point where I it, may, can, it, it, it probably fly. is. I feel it like it probably does. Yeah. yeah. No, I no. mean, I feel like for the majority that the the excuses and things like that have become predominant. So I think Connie's point about having these soft skills and this emotional intelligence mm-hmm. is super important because those are going to be the the kids who as yeah. adults succeed because so many of them don't have that yeah. ability at this point. No, I loved your all your stuff on soft skills because I feel like I'm very strong my soft skills. <laughs> You've said that many times. I have a lot of soft skills and I feel like my EQ is real high. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like I don't really I really identify with those two things. (laughs) Those are skills that everybody needs, right? So if you want to actually move anywhere in life, you need people. You know, machines are not going to help you get opportunities. It's people. So if you can't figure out how to get along with people, how to influence people, how to get how to get people to like you and want to do something for you, then you're not going to get anywhere. So I think all this stuff with technology and assuming that's going to help you do what you need to do isn't true because it's still people who create the technology to help you do something. Right. And I think folks have lost that fundamental understanding that it's human beings at the end of the day that still run the world. We're not controlled by a machine yet. You know, like if you just understand that, then I think there's a lot you can do to help yourself. But many folks don't want to look in the mirror and do you know, the hard work to look inside yourself it it's not easy it's not easy to say oh I guess I could do better maybe I didn't do this so well or what have you but if you don't know you you know I think that's probably a good place to start yeah and I I do think I don't know I mean here for sure I feel like everyone I know every husband every every like every wife except for me basically like works in like tech and I can't tell you how many times I've heard well you know at work like all everyone kind of they don't really know how to like work with people it's just like that kind of like tech mind that's kind of yeah. this like everyone says that and it's kind of become this thing where you know it's this real specific type of personality who goes into that kind of okay so yeah i feel like we kind of now live in in a in a place where in a time where it's totally normal for people to not have those social skills. And um, as someone who's like never worked in the corporate world, like I was a kindergarten teacher, like all I have are social skills. Oh, sorry, social skills. And so it's very hard for me with my girls where I'm like, no, you need to know how to talk to someone and look someone in the eye and ask questions. And when someone comes over, go say hello to them. And you just can't be on your phone all day. And, um, but I feel like that's like a lost art kind of where people just don't know how to interact if it's not this black and white work mode of this and that, like you have to be able to like have personal connections with people. It's very important. And I, and I think, I don't know, I think kids have like lost that. And, um, I think it's, it's something that they need to really work on, honestly. No, I agree. Well, I think it's that. And then the other piece of problem solving too, because there's, um, everybody's trying to hack their way to do the simple thing. And so when you're trying to find the fastest way and you 
don't want to actually try and problem solve, like that's an issue. Yes. Because, you know, the strongest knowledge worker is one that knows how to problem solve. And so I think if there's anything that the critical thinking skills is another aspect of what you need to know. But to me, that's just part of a bigger aspect of, and it's soft skills over hard skills. Hard skills are something that you can easily learn. You don't have to go to school for it necessarily. I mean, you could take a course and pay hundred bucks, 200 bucks, whatever, go to Coursera, Udemy, whatever it is. You can learn that. And if you're obsessed with it, you can do that on the side. Um, but so many other things are being automated now. So that it's not like you have to learn coding necessarily anymore. Cause now you have things that are yeah. low code, right? Yeah. Like you can program yeah. apps and not really know how to code. So yep. that's necessarily going to be as important, but still need to learn how to communicate with people. Yes. Um, you still need to learn how to lead people. You still need to learn how to problem solve. Right. So, I mean, as you can see, like the art of writing, a lot of people don't even know how to write a sentence anymore. So oh, it, it, it's all these things that kind of get back to, I guess, some kind of the basics of human nature. <laughs> so it, it's really interesting how I think we made everything easy to some degree, but we've also made things a lot more complex than they need to be. So <laughs> you got to get back to like, hey, how do I learn how to make a friend, <laughs> an actual authentic friendship versus trying to pummel them with a sheer number of emails or um, messages or what have you to try to sell you something because I think X number of touch points will convert into some engagement, like not really going to work. So, you know, to me, it's like, how do you get back to basics and start to understand yeah. people? And I loved your, um, the part of your book where you talked about it takes a village. Yes. Um, and I kind of linked that to the study you just did, the 2022, um, what workers want study mm -hmm. and how planning uh, was a career driver for success. And um, I mean, talk a little bit about that. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that planning came out as like high a percentage as it did. And it, it sort of makes sense to me, but I mean, literally like, I'm like, it sort of doesn't matter what school our kids go to for college was like my takeaway because you know, the college you went to or your education didn't have as much clout as who you knew, how you planned out your career. Yeah. Well, so the study unto itself is something that I had in my mind for a long time because I had always been asking myself personally, what does it take to be successful in this new world of work? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to understand what that was for individuals, not employees, because most of these engagement studies that you see are employees of a company. When they ask them, what do you need? Well, you're answering a survey in the context of you being an employee of the company, but that's not the same thing in terms of what do I need personally as an individual, whether or not I work at your company or not. And knowing that in the future, you may have less people as a W-2 employee because you might have more freelancers, gig workers, whatever, because not everybody wants to be a full-time employee. Like you're just a person, you're just a worker. You have needs, you have wants. What is it? So let's understand that population. And I think I was always wondering, well, you know, we always go into projects or meetings saying, hey, you know, we could do X, Y, Z. There's so many things that we could do to reach some goal, right? Um, but we never do all of them because the question is, which are the ones that matter? It can't be all of them. There's probably a smaller set of things that really drive an outcome. So 
same thing here. It's like, well, what does it take for me to feel like I'm progressing in my career and such that I'm satisfied? And I didn't use money title power as the um, kind of dependent variable for lack of a better term, right? Maybe it's sort of, you know, statistical, but it was, I'm satisfied with the progress that I'm making because for most people now, that is success. Not everybody wants money. Not everybody wants to hit a title. Not everybody wants sort of that influence and that level of power. But if you're moving forward, then that is a marker of success. So I was really trying to understand what activities do you do that correlates with that? And and as Lauren said, you know, planning came to the top. And to me, it actually proved everything that I knew to be true. The reason why these people in the book were able to create their own career mashup is because they determined, wait, you know, what is it that I really want to do in my life? Mm-hmm. What am I really trying to strive for? All right. Now that I have clarity on that, how do I create the roadmap to get there? And it's going to still be messy, but at least I know what I'm working towards and ways to get there. I can identify the people who can help me get there because I know what I want now. And then we're going to go about doing all these tactics to see if it works or it doesn't. Some things work, some things won't. And so all those really data points and pieces of feedback help you determine, should I continue to stay the course or do I need to pivot to something else? So if you're a you know young adult and you're like, hey, you know what? I really want to be a journalist, but I don't know if I really want to go to school. I just love writing stories. You could do that. You could do that now. You can define that in high school. You can figure out, well, how do I write for the school paper? Or maybe I could go to the local paper down the street, or maybe I could start my own blog. You know what? And I want to be a writer that reflects this particular type of news that makes me happy. And so a journalist to me is creating news in this particular area. You can do that now, but you have to be clear on what you want. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's for anybody. When um, I talk about, you know, that whole notion of strategic planning is the skill that you need. The reason why is because if it's almost 40% of the weight, which makes sense, if you don't know what it is you're trying to work towards, how do you know what school to go to? And that's the right school. You're just going to school. And then you're like, well, yeah, I went to school for this type of thing. And I thought I liked it, but I actually got a job in it. Now I hate it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just wasted all that time and money. Oh, well, maybe I should take um, a course on this. Or maybe I should like do, you know, these other areas that I think could make me happy or are, you know, culture obviously is important too, but how do you know if you're going to be in the right culture if you're not clear on what it is you're striving for to begin with because you haven't done the homework necessarily on yourself like well what environment fits me best if you're an introvert being in a culture where there's a ton of people probably isn't going to fit you so if your goal is to work in an environment where you know that it would align to you being at home working on your computer and not being bothered by a lot of people would make you happy Mm-hmm. No, then a culture that has a ton of people wanting to get together all the time and going to happy hour probably isn't going to be a fit for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, again, that kind of experience. Well, if you're not sure what you want, how do you know what experience you need to get? Mm-hmm. What role do you get? Like, what type of industries do you want? But everybody's like, oh, you know what? Well, decide the industry first. Like, oh, to figure out what you want to make a career pivot. 
like the first thing you need to do, and I saw this article actually on LinkedIn recently, it was like how to do career pivots or how do you think about career transition? And this Forbes article, the first thing he said, well, identify the industry. I'm like, honestly, how can you identify the industry if you're young, if you've never even experienced any industry? Mm -hmm. That's not where you start, right? Or even for somebody who has been working for some time um, and they've been in some industry and they don't like it. And they're like, I don't really know where to go next. Well, what do you want out of your life first? How does work fit into it? Mm -hmm. The way we used to do it, right, is, what do you want out of work? Which means, yes, what industry, what role, what company? But if work and life are intertwined and we know that, and the younger generation absolutely knows that, you're actually not solving for the right problem. Mm-hmm. But but looking inside yourself and asking yourself the question, what do I really want out of my life at this point in time is a very hard question to answer. What? A lot of people avoid it because it means you're not on the right path, right? Potentially. And so there's fear in changing because it's the fear of the unknown. It may mean, oh my God, I, I have this cushy job. I'm getting paid all this money. I like, you have the golden handcuffs. I can't do that. I'm like, but you're not happy. doesn't mean I'm saying you're leaving your job, but what is it that you want, right? Um, or there may be some people where it's like, ooh, but that's scary. I don't know if I have the ability because I've got imposter syndrome. I'm like, well, how do you know if you don't try, right? So it doesn't mean you blow up what you have. What it means is get clear on where you could go. And then start to try and experiment and see if that fits you or not. Just like building software products, it's the same thing. Yeah. Most people aren't accustomed to thinking like that. But those that are younger already yeah. are thinking like that. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I do think I, it, I mean, I am kind of jealous of these kids, like our kids and kind of the older kids who like, instead of just trying to fit yourself into a, into a peg that's already exists of, well, you can be a teacher, you can be a lawyer, you can be an accountant, you can be a doctor, you can be this. I feel like our kids now are like, you know, I kind of was dreaming that I want to be a painter. You know what I mean? Like just whatever you want. And it's, it's so the opposite of they're just making their own, they're just making their own jobs up. And maybe you, and that did not exist. That, that was not even a a thought in my brain where I feel like now as an adult having kids like, and maybe in my like second career in life, I think, oh, like I'm really good at this. Like maybe I want to try this where I feel like kids now are thinking like that. Like, I don't want to go down this normal path. I want to be this and I'll create it. And like you said in your book, you said, which really spoke to me because I have great, you know, um, elementary school children, um, you said like 45%, no, 65, 65% of children entering primary school today will ultimately end up working in completely new job types that don't even exist. Yeah. That's crazy. 65%. Like that's my girls. That's insane. That's insane. That's all our kids. That did not, that was not how it worked before. Mm -hmm. Like, and so think, think of the, the possibility. Like if you were a kid, you don't have to do what now you make your own job, you make your own job. And that's you do. And you know, the creator economy is actually exploding, which you guys have probably heard of too. Right. So obviously it was the gig economy and now it's the creator economy and anyone can be a creator. And then they, they're all talking about NFTs at a very early age. So they're already realizing, Hey, wait, you know what, if I create this thing, I can create an NFT for this thing and I can use Bitcoin 
have it paid for. And then I can create my own avatar in the universe and the metaverse. Like, yeah. They're already there because they already see it and they're asking for it. They're like, mom, can we invest in cryptocurrency? Like they are already ahead, way, way, way ahead. And they can yeah. already see where things are going to be going. And the rate of change with technology and what can be created is just faster and faster and faster. So, you know, I, I, I see how kids are thinking, but I also see how young adults have crafted their own thing. And, you know, there's stories obviously in the book that showcase that because that was sort of the aha moment when I was seeing it in um, sort of these different really biographies, right? So the thing, the kicker for me was when I saw it in um, HBO Real Sports and mm -hmm. reading about Justin Tucker or listening really about Justin Tucker. Or like J-Lo. You're J-Lo. Yeah, You're well, J-Lo, like that yes. was an inspiration too. So I'm like, holy cow, she's totally the career mashup or like mm -hmm. the exact example of that. But for me, like the aha moment was when I watched that HBO Real Sports segment and saw Justin Tucker's story. So for those of you who are big football fans and I'm not necessarily a football fan, I just love like biographies, but he's a winningest kicker in NFL history and he's young. I think he's, maybe he's 30 now, but um, when I saw the segment, it was probably three years ago. No, he's also an opera singer. And what? yes, he is, he had said that being an opera singer has made him a better athlete because of your diaphragm, right? So when you breathe, like the muscles that you use there, inevitably your muscles that you use as an, as an athlete. And so he made the logical connection and he would never give it up. And then there are other examples that I saw actually in HBO Real Sports as well. So Alexis Sablone, who is an Olympic um, uh, skateboarder but she was a professional skateboarder. It was one of these things that she loved and she became a skateboarder and then she started competing. But the thing is she also has a degree from MIT, I think in architecture. She also designs sneakers uh, I think it's for Adidas. Um, I mean, it's crazy. crazy. Like her background, I'm like, oh my God, you're like a genius. But it's like, they don't think of or. We grew up with or. We grew up with, okay, you, you've got to pick a lane and this is a lane and you got to master this lane and you got to go deep. And that's your career. And to pivot, it's like, oh my God, are you sure you want to pivot? It'd be a big deal if you pivoted out. But these are like, no, why do I need to cut off one thing to do another thing? I'm just going to parallel path this. And why you can't stop me. I can do it. I have the options to do it. And they do. So, you know, they're conditioned in a very different way and they have an optionality and they have the technology really to establish those things. So I think, you know, when it comes to, teachers and leaders and organizations and so forth like recognize that they just want to be who they are you teach them as parents right you just need to be you right be you do you mm -hmm. so they can yeah. but then in the job market you're like no don't be you like you have to conform to the way we need to be I'm like that doesn't make sense because if you told them one way that's completely counter and you know and you think about each of you right all of us are moms uh we're not one role we're not one dimensional but we've taught in society to force ourselves to be one dimensional, right? To specialize, yeah. but we're all context switching between so many different roles every single day, every single hour, right? So yeah. between right now you're a podcaster, after this, you probably have to, well, maybe you're gonna go do something else, right? But but you switch between this and then doing your job and then being a mom and then, you know, the five other things that you end up doing. Oh, yep. And so you're context switching all the time. That's why you have to be fluid and just go with the flow. but we've been trained and conditioned to compartmentalize all that. Nobody wants to do it anymore. Folks are done. Yeah. Yeah. And I love your, I love your, um, Bruce Lee quote, be like water. I mean, that's just <laughs> yeah. so like apropos for all of it. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about, um, 
I think you would be great at doing um, professional career counseling, like type, you know, consulting for somebody. And you did it for me sort of just on the fly the other day. And it was sort of the type of thing where um, anyone who's read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, came to me because when I told you what I had done and what I wanted to do, it was like Blink where you all of a sudden were like, okay. And you gave me all this really great advice and it was fabulous. And I think you'd be so good at doing that type of thing. So why don't you, and maybe you will do it. (laughs) Well, I am. So some of the things that I am doing now is helping people develop really their strategy, their career strategy. Cause it is, as you had said, you know, the disciplines and the skills that you and I have built over the years in doing marketing and strategy is kind of just innate. And I don't even think about it. Um, But it's really easy for me when I talk to people and hear about their career journey or just sort of their life story to connect the dots and realize what leads to something else and likely why and potentially what the drivers are and what they feel really makes them them. Um, And it's hard to see it in yourself, right? Because you need that objective lens. So much of this is taking all the data that I hear from someone and then crafting a plan that gives you clarity on likely what you've been thinking all along. Most of the time it's in someone's head. Yeah, um, They just haven't chosen written it down because it's scary to actually put it on paper or they just justify, I don't have time. I don't have to like lay it out. So a lot of that, yeah, is helping to um, map that roadmap out with uh, a leader or really help them with their personal brand, which is the same thing. It's, it's understanding those important trends in them and their experiences and then say, hmm, you know what, this is likely what you have wanted to do. You just haven't seen um, the connective tissue around it. Um, but yeah, it's fun. I love it when I can see somebody uh, have that light bulb moment, I'm like, wait, oh my God, that is what I've been thinking, but I didn't realize it that way. And so they feel unstuck. No, we've yeah. all been, un- we've all been stuck. Right. But if I can help somebody get unstuck, then it's pretty fulfilling. That's that. And I feel like you probably, it's like people need permission sometimes. I think like from somebody else to say like, it's okay. Like you can try this or you would be amazing at that. Or, you know, sometimes you need somebody else to like mm-hmm. bring that out of you and give you permission kind of to like, go down that path, like try it out. Like you'd be great, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. And I, you know what? I never needed it for myself too. So uh, we are not always really good at seeing our own talents yeah. and what makes us us. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's like we have our own imposter syndrome or fear of things. And even though people may be saying the same thing over and over and over again, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I can't hear it. Yeah, yeah, you're just sort of flattering me and like whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's somebody that doesn't really know you that well, and just hears what you're saying and instantly can piece it all together. They're like, oh wait, so I guess it is true, right? And you're more likely to listen. Just like, you know, I don't always listen to what my spouse says, even though he knows me really well. <laughs> like yeah. he'll tell me and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> yep. But if a friend tells me it's the same thing, I'll yeah. pay attention to her <laughs> or him for that matter. Totally. Right? Um, yes. and so it's stuff like that where, you know, I enjoy that. And then, you know, on the company side too, it is also giving them clarity because I don't think they understand the, um, target audience anymore. So a lot of this is really helping to develop the voice of the workforce, right? Just like voice of the customer work. It's understand who your target audience is, is people. They're different than you. 
uh, a 20, uh, you know, somebody in their mid twenties is not the same as somebody in their mid fifties, what they want, what they need. They're in a very different career stage than you are. The way they want to go about their career is going to be different than you. So why don't you take the time to actually understand them and coach them, mentor them, be a leader and guide them. Uh, that means something very different than the way that you were raised in the workforce. But if you don't know how to do that and you don't want to invest in that, then you're not going to get them. And honestly, that's who companies are hiring. So it's, it's kind of taking away that, oh, well, because I've been this leader, I therefore should have the power because they're going to follow me and do what I want because of this hierarchy. I'm like, they don't care. They just don't care. <laughs> they have choices. Yeah. Um, it's not that they don't want to look at those opportunities, but it's just like a kid. If you're telling them you have to do this, it's not going to work, right? How many times have your kid been like, talk to the hand? No, same thing. Mm-hmm. So just have that kind of context. Um, you know, when you're looking at who you want to hire and, you know, I think in turn as a person, just who do you want to be? Yeah. Yeah. Agree. So true. Oh, oh my I gosh. We have loved having you on here. Yes. We are going to have you Thank back. Thank you so much. About your <laughs> writing and publishing a book during COVID, know, which is amazing. We want to hear more about that process. I was so. like on a couch and you were like writing a book. Seriously. You know? exactly. <laughs> yes. You guys can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We Maybe will. that's what I meant to do. Honey, it was so good to have you. Thank you so much. You guys are very fun. I appreciate Aww, it. Thanks, Kai. Join us next time with Kim Hunter. She's a certified professional dog trainer. Her passion lies in helping people and dogs establish a strong relationship. She has lots of tips you do not want to miss. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is I Know a Thing, a podcast by ordinary moms exploring what we find curious.